0: You're listening to the Successful Executive Podcast with John Bellino.
1: So
2: I want to thank all of you for listening in this morning to the Successful Executive Podcast interview. We're actually going to be speaking for the second time with Adam Nibrugi, who is a director at Guide1 Insurance. Good morning, Adam. How are you doing this morning?
3: Doing well, thanks.
2: Awesome, awesome. So I know we spoke before, And uh, you uh, answered all of my questions in great depth, which I appreciate, and I know that my listeners will, will as well. So we've known each other for a few years now, and I know you've worked for a few companies since you began your career. Approximately, how many roles did you have since you started your career? And I'm curious, was there anything unique about any of the roles in particular? And if so, why?
3: Um, so how many roles I mean I I think I've worked for as an actuary in the financial industry uh, counting my internship with sort of a commodities trading company and then mm-hmm. I moved into actual science and from there I've held uh, as an analyst one two three Five, six,
1: six roles
2: ish,
3: and then okay. uh, in, in sort of more the the leadership sort of management capacity. Three or four, probably four.
2: Okay, um, so total of ten altogether. Yeah,
3: about ten. Um, probably the most. I mean, I think. I think the, the roles that I have found the most enjoyable were the ones that I think I was brought into less for um, actual reasons and more for they were just the places where there was a problem that needed to be solved. Got it. Okay. So, I mean... There was generally some actuarial or financial or sort of mathematical component to them um, but you know when the the you know two or three roles that sort of stand out in my mind, they all have some something that you know I would say had I not been in that role, I wouldn't have learned it and um I think those roles always pop up. they're always something uh-huh. different. And I don't know that all of them I would have said uh going into them. I was glad I was going into
2: them. <laughs> you realize later on you was I'm glad I was here for
3: this Yeah. Day. I mean,
1: okay.
3: Like my well, you know, like I, I spent some time leading a reserving department or a mm-hmm. portion of the reserving department at, and, you know, I was in charge
2: of the liability reserves of the company. And, you know, I'm doing was that. Was that a company in London or was that here in the States? No, it was here in the States. Um, okay. And
3: when I was doing that, I didn't really get into that because I wanted to. I, uh I had left. Earlier in my career, I'd done a lot of work in reserving, and I—I didn't think I wanted to go back until I was more at a senior executive level. And um, okay, you know, I was sort of forced—might be too strong of a word—but I was—I was told that it would be the right next move for me, and that they needed me to move over and help them with some problems. And I did it, and. Uh, I spent three years doing it, for, and, and, you know, I learned a ton. Not not as much about reserving, um, which was sort of my apprehension around going into it, was that I felt like I was good at that. And, you know, there are some things at the more senior levels of a company, sort of the managing of a balance sheet and what that meant that I wanted to still learn, but I wasn't going to learn that managing a team of, you know, Savantary and analyst, I was. You know. But what I really got exposed to was, you know, and what I felt like I learned was that that department as a whole was going through a major change on, you know, culture and how they wanted them to work and what what a good reserving department looked like. And you know, um, I don't know that that really attracted me. I think if someone would have told me. Yeah, you're gonna be part of cultural change, I probably would have said. Yeah. Um in, in hindsight, I, I you know, it was a great experience, right? And I learned a lot. So um I don't know if I'd go back and do it again,
2: but I'm glad I did. <laughs> I would think it's very challenging. Oh yeah. I mean I, I mean, how many personalities are you trying to get on board with this new culture at the time? Oh, well, I mean, I had, there were
3: about forty or fifty people, probably.
2: Oh my word! So, Over what
3: period of time? Uh, it was about a three. I mean, I guess it, it had been started maybe a year or two before I got there. So the entire shift that the you know the appointed actuary was trying to manage. Um, did it over, let's say, a five-year window, and I was there okay. for, you know, three and a half years of it, four years of it.
2: So, so, were you brought in as, hey, this is this is what I need you to do. I need you to help me with this role of changing the culture. It is going to be in reserving, but yeah. its primary focus of this is getting these forty to fifty people behind this new idea process method that we're going to be using going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think um, the people above me were brought on more for that. I was brought on more as we didn't, they wanted to have someone that they could reliably build a team around and have it as a working example of what they were trying to achieve.
1: Okay,
3: okay. The, you, know, the, you know my boss had you know 15 people or so and his peer had another 15 or 20 people or so and the point actually had a handful of five or people or so reporting directly to him. Um, and there were you know us, about five or six of us with, you know on average about five or six reports and effectively he knew what he wanted culturally, and I think the leadership group had kind of gotten on the same page, but now he brought me over to get that more middle management team working as a team, and then give them an example of what, you know, what a five-person team looks like. How? how, What does reserve reviews and,
1: you know,
3: what does he want, how do they, how do all the pieces of doing the analysis, managing, you know, the financial processes and procedures and staying up to date on, you know, sort of standards of practice, how do those things all come together to,
2: to be a good reserving team? Would you say that was the most challenging role you've had to date?
1: Um I yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think technically,
3: no, I don't think. I mean I think I was really good at running a reserving team and that's or running any team. So I think that's part of the reason why I got in the role. Um, you know, I did that well and people saw that and they said, Well just come over here, we we want an example so that we can move in that direction. Um, I think there were challenges in that role and and I wouldn't say that there weren't, but I never I don't think the role was ever deeply challenging. I just learned a lot more from from, you know, the appointed actuary and from people around him that I was working with and, and my peers too around you know, watching them go through some of the struggles but and, you know, how I helped them sort of as a peer, um, to get through some of the changes that had to happen on their teams. Um, okay. So I mean, I think there were challenges, but I never felt overwhelmed in that role. I never felt in you know, over my head. There have been, definitely been roles where I, like my head was spinning, that the gap from what I could do and was good at to what I needed to do was was large. Right. Is there an example of that? Uh, I think the first time I managed, which was years ago. I mean, uh, I was in
1: yeah.
3: a team doing application development for for travels at the time. We were building out a reserving process and platform. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I was three years into my career. Okay. My career, and um, I just wanted to manage the project. I didn't actually want to manage people. Um, Yeah. Had
2: you ever managed people prior to that? No. No. When you took on that role, so you went from managing no people other than yourself to how many people did you have to manage right off the bat? I think two or three. It wasn't a big team. That's plenty though. Yeah. You've done it before, right? Yeah. And I think it
3: was, I mean, it's also actuaries and so. And actuaries are easy to manage. They're generally intelligent, hardworking people. So definitely, you don't definitely. generally have a lot of, you know, my dad ran plants, right? And and you know, when he first started managing, he had some real people issues that he had to manage, like people showing up to work, you know, under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and trying to operate machinery and endangering people. Okay. And like. Real complex, tough management stuff, right? Um,
1: yeah.
3: I was managing, you know, very intelligent, very hardworking people. It was, it was easy, but it was in over my head too. I mean, it was just sort of you start having to give performance feedback, and I just didn't Absolutely. know what to. I mean, I would not intentionally mess it up, but mess it up. I mean. The word choices and how you phrase things, and
1: mm-hmm.
3: it's one of those mm-hmm. things. You can read all the books you want, but you know, trial by fire is the only way to really get good at it. So, like
2: should, having kids. Yeah, right? exactly. I think that's a Like having kids. A good. If they have them, they'll really know what it's like. Yes. So, yep. That makes sense.
3: I'm wondering if you went back into. some of those people who I first managed,
2: they probably have a very interesting perspective of me as a leader. (laughs) Well, I know you've been a successful leader. You've mentioned it before. I've seen it with your own work, with the things that we've been working together on. Um, Do you feel you have a unique approach to working with teams that has made you so good at what you do? that's been recognized by your peers and also by management because they keep putting you in that role?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. if Maybe
3: it's unique. I don't know. I, I mean, I will
1: say that I don't know if it's unique. I just, I think, I think it's
3: uh, not so okay I, I I don't think it's unique in what people will say, but maybe in what I do um, so I mean okay. like, I believe at my core that teams are really around um, common interest in building trust right yes, yeah. you know i think I think people make things really complicated and and Mostly I just try to get things back to sort of the essence of what they are, right? And so over and over again, I, you know, uh, you know, people talk to you around leadership and they'll write these big books and I don't really think it's all that complicated what it is. I think it's hard to do, but, you know, if you're gonna cross a minefield, I know who I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna follow the person with the mine detector. I don't care if he's a general. I don't care what his title is. You know, leadership yeah. is about people willing to follow you. And why will they follow you? What will? It's, it's you know, people place management into that category, and they'll talk around what it means to be a good manager, as if they're talking around being a leader. They're different, right? I mean they're really good managers who are bad leaders and they're really, you know, good, uh, you know, in the other case, right? Vice versa. So it's, to me, that's an example where I'd say my approach is, look, I, I believe it's always around building teams and mm-hmm. getting people to, and I think that's around getting people to trust each other and understand their jobs. And then, yeah once they trust each other and they trust me, I think they'll follow me. And, yeah. and I repeat that over and over again. And I get them to trust me by being transparent about who I am. I'm, if anything, an oversharer. Um, uh, there's not much I won't tell someone. Uh, i tell mm-hmm. people my faults, I'll tell people my strengths, and it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Um, but I'm an open book, and, and I don't have problems with people being open books with me, which I think people yeah. will say that. I like, uh, had a lot of people, I like to say I'm the exception when I tell people this, but I also say that I don't expect them to trust me just because I say this. Um, mm-hmm. I like people to be direct and, and just tell me what they think. If they don't like me, just say it. At least it's on the table yeah. with around why. Um, If my son's starting his career and his manager tells him he likes straight talk, I'll tell him, be very cautious. Because most people who preface that, it's been my experience, are the ones who like it the least. Uh It's usually to cover up who they really are, which is they don't like to be challenged. And they know it, and they've been told that they don't. So then they start telling people that they do. Right? Okay.
1: Interesting.
3: I am... uh, I would say that my style is maybe unique. I don't know. I think I really... The one thing that I don't like talking around or the thing I get uncomfortable is talking around my leadership because I believe I can have whatever opinion I want of it. The only people who matter are the people who I've led. So you got to go ask them. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just feel like most people... Most people's perceptions of the leadership and their management is, is, is faulty at best, right? I mean, it's, it's the mirror which we all look at ourselves in, right? The,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know, the lies we tell ourselves. So you know, I can say what I want to do. I can say what I want to try to achieve, but it's only relevant if that's what people feel.
2: And ultimately that they follow you on that purpose. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's where good leadership comes from. Hey, I had a question. What do you believe makes some executives successful while others struggle? I think you just gave me the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, I. I, Knowing the difference between management and leadership. I think, I think,
1: yeah. And I think, I think
3: ultimately, um, the best executives I've ever worked with have a common characteristic, and it's, you know, they do three things. All leaders or managers do three things, you know. Um, and if you're, you're going to be good, you got to be good at all three. And the first one is you have to be able to lead and manage yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I actually think that's the rarest. I think most executives struggle with managing themselves. Most of the ones that I've interacted with, that I've been impressed with, really know who they are. And and they're not. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're they're aware and they're either working on it or they acknowledge that they're faults and they let others on the team or those around them help them protect. The team from their faults, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> I think if you're a bad manager, then don't manage. Let someone else manage. Doesn't mean you can't lead. Um, you know, get get good managers around you and make sure that you're okay with that. You know, and I think that's a that's one category, and I think that's one probably the one that I find being the greatest differentiator because I think most people just I think it's a very hard skill to learn. It's it's not really a professional skill, it's a life skill. And I think mean, it's just really hard to to, to do. Um well, you have be only, honest with yourself.
2: Don't yeah. You? Yes. And I think and, and you yeah, most it, people can't, they can't and, do that sometimes. Yeah, you have to be
3: honest with yourself, and you have to also um, have good feedback loops.
1: Yes.
2: Would you say feedback loops? Yeah. And they have to be ones you trust. I like
3: that. And they have to be ones you trust, right? I mean, if someone's telling me I'm a, a poor communicator, but I don't think they're good at communication, I don't like them. They might be right, but I'll never hear it. Yeah. Right. Your your feedback loops have to be from trusted sources, and you have to develop them, and well, that's all that's hard. The keys are. Yeah,
1: that's it's the
3: all key. hard. It's really hard, and and most people get you know they move past themselves quickly and start moving into other problems. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second one is leading you know a team or or others around you, like your peers and things like that. You, know, you can succeed at that. Um, I, I feel like that's really around helping others become self aware. Okay. I mean I think most of the team management I've done is just it's helping others become better at you know the first step of being a good leader, which is managing yourself. So you know if you get a whole bunch of people Together and they're all good at understanding themselves and how they affect other people, then you'll get a good team. Okay. And so I think surprisingly, sometimes I find people are better at that than they are at managing themselves. So, okay. Um, okay. It's like one should always follow the other, but not the case. The one that I think most leaders I meet with are really good at is managing an organization. Um, I just, I think it's it can have a great deal of value um, And you know, how does an organization move and think it's it's very um, hard to wrap your head around, right? I mean, but every almost every executive I've ever worked with is good at that one right they you know sometimes they do it at the detriment of themselves and others but they they know how to align people to move in a direction sometimes through fear i mean there's negative ways you can do it but
1: mm-hmm.
3: you just you're not effective at all right it's it's really through managing i mean the biggest thing is about managing perception so if I've seen executives who are really bad executives, but they're really good at organizational management, right? I mean, like the way they are perceived, the way people perceive their teams, the way their projects are perceived, they're all managed, and everyone in the organization thinks very highly of them, even if they're not good.
1: Okay.
3: What they're really good at is managing an organization. They excel at it, but they're not really good at anything else, maybe. Okay. But I think every executive is. Really, if you're leading, you're leading in those three capacities. And I think what people have a tendency to work hard at, and for good reason, that generally breeds success quickly in the form of title and pay, is organizational leadership. Okay. I think the skills that make you the best leader are first leading yourself and, I mean, I think that, I mean, if, if if you're just a street sweeper, right, and that's, you're not needing anything beyond yourself, it's still a very important skill. And right.
2: Most people neglect that one, and I think it's the most core.
1: Yeah.
2: And that transcends, like, if you can do that, like you said, that transcends the size of any team, right? Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter how many people on the team you're going to have. If you can do that number one thing well and you get it and then you move on to number two, as you stated, then the number of people that you're managing on a team isn't going to matter. Yeah.
3: Exceedingly good leaders lead everywhere, right? You can go find a great, yeah. you know, I mean, I think recently I read a book and I, like a year ago, so I'm blanking on the name and title, but essentially a Navy SEAL commander wrote what leadership was, and as you read it, it was all about how he put himself before the team, how he evaluated himself, and it started with self-improvement. Yeah. And You pick him up and he's unsuccessful leaving the military world and entering other realms because he's already figured out how do I become a better person? If I become a better person, and I help other people around me become better, it all sort of follows. So he talked like, to him. It was about discipline. So his that,
2: that's a key, that's very important. But if you can, let's face it. If you, if I, the first time you and I met, if. I came off as if I had all the answers that one could ever ha- expect. You probably would not be that impressed with that. You would think that's more egomaniacal, ego right? Yeah, but Like right. a person comes in to and says, "Hey, you know, these are my strengths. These are the things that I get help from others, and these are the reasons why. And yet, I can still I can speak to those." Just like that manager, or that individual can speak to those. But there's a perception that hey, this person this knows person knows enough to be dangerous in this particular area. But they're improving their knowledge on it, and they have a team of people behind them who are smarter than them in those particular areas, so that nobody gets in trouble. Yeah, that's what it, you're speaking about, right?
3: Yep, and I think what I think you're right. I think laying it on the table starts the conversation, but ultimately the People don't believe words, they believe actions. Ah, yes. So if you you can tell people, like, you can trust me, or, you know, I like straight talk. If you think I'm wrong, just tell me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How you respond to even the smallest of things at first will dictate whether or not they believe you. Right. If they come in... I don't think, you know, I don't like how your your office is set up, and you're dismissive of their challenge,
1: mm-hmm.
3: or you make them feel small for having an opinion, good luck getting another one.
1: <laughs> That's
2: so true.
3: So I mean, like, people aren't going to test you on your big project idea. They're not going to test like oh, I like straight talk, and they're going to come in and tell me I'm thinking about managing reserves wrong. Or, you know, like, they're not going to. That's not how they're going to challenge me to find out if I like straight talk. And they're not going to believe that I asked for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you have to put it on the table to begin the conversation. But ultimately, they're going to test it. No different than your children, right? You can tell your children don't cross the street without an adult, but they're going to test you. Oh yeah. They're going to find rules like don't don't talk back to your mother. They're gonna talk back to their mother to find out is that a real rule or not? And how you respond to that and what you do will dictate whether or not they understand, do you give real rules or do you give fake ones? And if you give fake rules, even on the small ones, your children will start to perceive you as your word's not worth anything.
2: That's right. Can you give an example? Adam of a specific incident, not naming names or companies where you came into that managerial role knowing what you know and you put it on the table. I think people who are listening to this would find that uh very helpful where that is an area where they may actually uh feel a challenge. So like how how did you do that? And well, what what was the environment like what was what did you do and what was the follow-up that, you know what happens what happened afterwards yeah i mean i
3: I've, I've since rethought how i phrase some of this stuff but i'll use the example okay anyway. um so i i i i was coming into a new team and and i always sit down with everyone and i try to lay myself on the table as much as i can right and so I was put in charge of this team of five or six people, and uh, there's a woman who was working for me who was going to essentially, you know, be the day-to-day manager of that team. Um, and and I was sort of laying out, and you know, I said things like, you know, I'm a good leader, um, I'm a good coach, I can really help you. I'm not a good manager. And uh, I think that sort of caught her off guard, right, because I, she, she took that, like, oh, crap, I've got a bad manager. Um, <laughs> 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 it's like, how bad must he be that he just comes out and says it? Um, and he got this job. Yeah. <laughs> I think... She didn't so keep any of the things okay. that I did well. All she heard was that I'm a bad manager and I'm managing her now.
2: And I can only imagine the facial expressions. The yeah. body
3: language gave it away, right? And, and a lot of, like I said, I mean, I think people mix up with management. I I still, I mean, I've gotten better at management, but I'm still not great at it. It's just not. Well, I mean, I think management. Really... Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I think and this is what I said to her at the time, but I think once that first sentence got out, it, you know, to me, management's, you know, um, sort of day-to-day stuff. It's the, it's, the, it's the task of owning the relationship of people. Like, you know, how do you fill out, you know, uh, an HR form for time off? And when they submit expenses, are they... Fall- like, that's management. It's managing people through the procedures, and, and I'm honestly just not very good at it. Like I, I lose track of them. I forget to do things, and you know, shame on me. It's not anyone's fault but my own. And I've gotten better. I've, you know, come up with ways to 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 manage that around myself. But the truth is, I'm just not very good at it. Right? Um, it doesn't mean I'm a bad leader. But I think most people put two things
2: together. Um, you told this woman that you were a bad, you weren't a particularly good manager of people. So, of people. Yeah, I
3: manage projects well and things like that, but I, I, I'm not the best people manager. And she just, I mean, she worked for me for three years. She, she, she actually still works for me today, and um, I think, I think now. And she actually has given me the spice. Don't start your conversations with people that way. There's a like I understand now what you meant by that. There is a far better way to word that, and and she's helped me phrase it differently and sort of talk it out with people. But, um, you know, walking way And I mean, it took her six months to understand what I meant. I laid it on the table probably could have been more effective had I not laid it on the table the way I did because, you know, I think the importance of that conversation and what I do when I go through and sit down and tell people who I am is I'm trying to speed up the process, not slow it down. And I think in that situation, I slowed it down. Okay. By laying that on the table that way, she walked away from that conversation like, whoa, I better be real careful around this guy.
2: Got it. So what did she tell you? Obviously, she's she could have run the other way, and she hasn't. She's worked for you for many years now. Yeah. Um, what did she tell you as a better way to quote lay it out in front of people in a different way? Yeah, that wouldn't slow the process down.
1: Yeah, um, it's the same thing. This is
3: this is probably one of my great struggles. Uh, my wife has, for years, told me. Um, you know this that I'm very I'm very exact in my language, but most sometimes um, inaccurately I, I misuse words or my vocabulary is not perfect. But even you know, like I like through this conversation, to me leadership and management are very different, right? Mm-hmm. And and I have the very clear difference in my mind. But that's not true of the world, you know. Most people will interchangeably use the words, though, and you got to be careful when you're talking with people. Um, mm-hmm. My wife has said that to me throughout my
2: entire marriage. Um, sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, she's, she's your best and worst critic. Yeah, she does it out of love,
3: right? And, and the woman who works for me said the exact same thing. She's like, I understand now, but there's no way anyone's going to wrap their head around what you're trying to tell them because they don't know you. They don't know what that means. and That's not something you can cover in a day, right? Like helping people really understand the difference between management and leadership and what parts you're good at, what parts you're not. Like you can't summarize it with a word. You just need to tell them exactly which parts you struggle with. And so that's not what I do now, right? I mean, like, you know, I I get caught up in in the problem, right? So if, you know, if, if, if you need me, you need to be direct with me. And I'm not someone who's going to follow up with you all the time and make sure, you're, you know, your project's going well. or Like... To me, that's good management. They, they, they do that. I'm going to follow up and make sure you're doing all right, but I'm not as concerned around your project. I'm going to assume you're on it unless you tell me. And Got so I tell people that now as opposed to, you know, um, I think good managers doing a very good job. Um, this woman who works for me. is actually one of the best managers I've ever worked with, of balancing that gap between what people find offensive micromanaging, following up all the time and just, and maybe the more extreme, which is what I am, which is, you know, I don't do any management sometimes. Like I can quickly fall into the, the hole of, well, I mean, I told you what you need to get done. You said you understood. If you didn't come talk to me, then I'm going to assume you got it.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
3: and sometimes three weeks pass and I, we have a meeting and they're like, Yeah, I've been running into roadblocks. What do you mean you've been running into roadblocks? Why don't you come talk to me?
1: hmm
3: You know, a good mm-hmm. man never happens, right? They're like they're they're on it. Without micromanaging, right? Which which, you know, I'm the extreme of sometimes a little too hands off, I assume. We're on the same page, so I'm out unless you ask for me. Okay. So rather than saying I'm I tell people things like that now.
2: <laughs> okay. Do you, think, do you think that you operated from that because, hey, I'm operating from the assumption that um, you're in the role that you're in, you got that role for a series of reasons, so you're, I'm, I'm under the impression you're going to be able to do that role very well. So instead of me managing how you're doing that role, I'm to, I just want to make sure you're doing well as a person. If you're not doing well as a person, then that's gonna the role's gonna take a back seat to that, and it's gonna affect that. Is that yeah, part of what you're saying? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely part of it. I mean, I think okay, I think sometimes and that's how I've operated with my staff. Frankly, is my my view has always been, you know, I can do this one or two ways. I can micromanage, and I've seen people do that, and they never have a staff for very long or you know what i'll be i'll be very careful in the um recruiting in the hiring process and when i find the right person then i found the right person to get the job done so i know they can do it and so as a result i just want to make sure they're doing fine i mean they're going to run into bumps here and there we all have that right but if the person's not doing well then things will start to unravel quickly and everything else that they're doing simply because their mind is not on that. It's on whatever's affecting them personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think
3: a big part of it is I don't believe in the separation of work and life. I mean, I think I don't believe in work life balance. I believe we all just live and works a part of our lives. And you know, if, you have stress outside of work, then you've got stress at work, right? It's yeah. not You know, no one has a family member who's ill or, you know, their parents pass away and they just get to come into work and, well, I'm at work right now, so that stress doesn't affect me.
1: Like, that's yeah. not... Yeah, no, I, no.
2: So, I agree. I so,
3: agree. I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is I think, you know, Again, being a good manager is you know, which I struggle with, right? I like I think I'm good at helping people get in the right situations, but good management's around understanding what support do they need. Sometimes people need to be micromanaged, right? I mean like someone fresh yeah. out of school who's got no experience, they like if I just come to them and say, Do a reserve view, like they don't know what to do. Of course. But I I mean it's like taking someone and, driving out in the middle of the ocean and throwing them in, say, go for yeah. a swim, right? Well, I mean, if they're an Olympic swimmer, fine.
2: If they've never swam before, I just kill them, right? Well, and, that's why you don't give the keys to a uh, somebody who just got their learner's permit, and you put them on a uh, main highway right. by themselves. You, don't, you just don't do that. Right. And so uh,
3: what that, is micromanaging was- is... To me, it's it's really about knowing the
2: person, knowing their
3: skills, and so that's why I always start with the person, right? I mean, I feel like I can lead people once I understand them, and yeah. I know what they're there for. I know what they get enjoyment out of, what they like around their work, what they struggle with. You know, once I understand that, then I can, I can either be their coach or I can be, you know, someone who helps find them the right coach, right? I mean, I repeat the same process over and over and over again. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You've used the term coaching a number of times, which I appreciate, because that's what I tell people, and I've told you that's what my role is as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an a advi- national advisor, but I really see myself more as a coach. Uh, and people are going to do what they're going to do, but if uh, you can coach them in the right direction with respect, uh, then they're going to accept that direction. Uh, a lot more openly going forward, so one area that you and I talked quite a bit about is the challenges facing the industry. so in your opinion, because I know you've got a few of them in this area, what do you see as the big challenges facing your industry, and what do you think the impact will be
1: yeah, I mean I
3: I mean, I think my industry is facing the challenge of it's no different than every industry. I think it's its always, and it's been this way for as long as, as sort of people have been doing business, right? Um, technology's changing the world, and it always has. Um, mm-hmm. And companies and their business models will be affected by it. And so how will that affect our business? And I think it's going to be it's going to be widespread and, and complicated. So I mean, I think the insurance industry, I mean at its core, insurance is, you know, like I said, I always like to get back to it at the core what's it doing? And I think you can answer a lot of questions that way. You know, we're transferring risk that others feel like they can't manage themselves. Correct. So technology does two things in general across time. One, it reduces risk. Um, You know, there's not too many technologies that we can't point to across the The history of humanity, I would say, have increased the certainty of something. I mean, mean, the the invention of a car increased the certainty of travel time. You know, um, not all risk is transferable, and but you know, or insurance is a likely fit for. There's other ways to manage risk, but you know, every ounce of technology that we've ever put together has been to take the uncertainty out of the world and make it more certain. And
2: interesting.
3: So as the world gets more and more technology, it becomes a more and more certain place. hmm I mean we used to surprise yeah. You yeah, okay.
1: yeah.
3: I mean, there used to be real worries around whether it's gonna rain tomorrow or not. Okay. You technology. We know whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not.
1: Okay. The,
3: the for I like for that. Three days out is is getting pretty darn accurate. Yeah. So, I mean, is that an insurable risk? I mean, it depends on what you're doing three days out. Uh huh. Cars driving, right? I mean, if if. I don't know what the final answer will be. Um, But the transportation of people has and continues to become safer every day. If at some point it becomes so safe that it's not really a risk, then there's not a need for insurance anymore. Or if the act becomes so. increased in volume that it looks like I mean like flying on a plane or riding in a train technically there's some risk they're both incredibly safe right um but that risk is not handled at the individual level right so, I mean auto insurance is going to be dramatically changed um you know as we get smarter technology around circuitries and houses, the the likelihood of fires from internal causes is diminishing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that is monitoring circuit flows, and, I mean, it's not like fires just magically happen from wiring, like heat forms, and they can sense that. So, you know the number of home fires is going to diminish, right? So there's all kinds mm-hmm. of that are coming at sort of our business, you know, of first transfer, but they always, they've always been there. It's not like these are new things, right? I mean, life insurance, right? I mean, people used to not know when or how they are going to die. To a certain extent, that's gotten better.
1: Mm-hmm
3: people now get diagnoses and say, well, you're going to die, or they can just test, test the genes and be like, well, you've got this trait. You're not going to live past 60.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That type of certainty they still die younger, right? They can still be in a car accident. But, I mean, as medicine and things get better and better and better, and we understand sort of the science people, it's not just that people live longer. I think what's lost, sometimes is the distribution of life is actually getting tighter.
1: What do you mean by that?
3: Um, People used to have a lot more variability. Like when we say life expectancies continues to go up, a big chunk of that was not people living longer. I mean, on average, yes, but... Uh, for the last 100 years what has caused the average life to go up has been less people living longer and more the certainty that you're going to live to be over 60 okay right i mean once you get past the once you get past like your first year i think your life expectancy skyrockets to almost certainty that you're going to make it over 70 in, in like, the U.S. I mean, so, when people die, it used to be, like, well, kids got, I mean, people used to die when they were five. I mean, go back oh, yeah. and you know, how many kids did Abraham Lincoln lose? And, you know, children died. And now, you find someone who's lost a child and you think, oh, what a tragedy. That should have never happened.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: so, you know, that that's one of the biggest drivers is the risk of early death. Um, some of it from disease, but some of it's also just from car accidents and other parts of life that get you, right? Um, yeah. The world's just become safer and safer. Medicine's become better, sure, right? But mm-hmm. early- Just doesn't happen like it used to. So that's happening in every business, right? It's getting safer. The world's always getting safer. You know, it'll never be perfectly safe, right? But um, our business is a function of that technology, right? And as technology keeps evolving, it it erodes my market. Um, The funny thing about it is, it also creates new ones. So. At one point, you know, there were no cars. That's Um, right. The insurance of the automobile is the largest um, um, personal insurance market out there. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: More premium generated in that than anything. So, um, you know, that might go away. I don't know. But new technologies form, and um, they're going to make the world safer. They may result in, or better, right, make them more certain. But the certainty doesn't necessarily get rid of insurance. Ultimately, if we knew everything, there'd be no need for it. But, you know, when cars replaced horses, they actually created a huge insurance market.
1: Right. Um, You
3: know, how that the personal car... Let's say it goes away in the next, you know, 30, 40 years, and you know, there's just like Uber-type fleets, and there is no personal cars anymore. Um, It's a big change, right? The insurance needs going to be different. Um, It'll dictate some on the real world and some on the law, which is always Mm -hmm. the combination of those two things. Um, You know, I I don't know what that world looks like, but what I can tell you is it's it. it's not, you know, everyone always wants to say the world's changing faster than it, ever it has been. I I don't know. I think the world's always changed at the pace at which it could change. And I think, I think the biggest barrier to change is people, not technology. So yeah. I think that's always been the case. I think it's not what we... It's not the lack of technology, it's the it's our ability to align and motivate societies and directions, right? I mean you can point to all kinds of inventions that happened long, long times ago and took a very long time for them to be adopted, right? I mean you know sewers oh. is, I mean like the less glamorous ones, like public sewers and sewage systems were invented long, long time ago. I mean there were the Romans had it, it took forever for the world to really adopt indoor plumbing across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Very true. And I don't, I mean, some of it was maybe cost prohibitive. I don't know the details on why, but, you know, the fact that it's not the invention of an idea or, you know, technology itself that generally stops change, it's, you know, the pace at which people are capable of changing. And societies are capable of changing. And very true. Those things are far slower than what I
2: think people generally accept. Yeah, very true. Very true. I I, I agree with that. I, I mean, it's funny the uh, the example you used is modern plumbing is uh, is perfect because uh, you and I can't live without it, but we can live without it if we really had to. Right. But we choose not to live without it. We would never buy a house without it. But there are entire countries that don't have that. Uh, I know for my wife and I, we there's a few charities that we give around the globe. And uh, I mean, what these people, what these people live without is just amazing. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. Sure. Um what, one of the charities uh we adopted um a child in I can't even remember the name of the country. I I it's it's some island off of Thailand or something like that. It's very small. But um no, I take that back. I take that back. The girl that we uh had adopted in India. And uh, long story short is um through this organization, we were um, providing correspondence and so forth on a um, really on a quarterly basis over the course of three years. She was uh, going into some form of a nursing program. Long story short, is every Christmas we would send a gift uh, of money. Okay, and the last uh, the last one that we sent. Um, she, um, instead of spending it on herself, she gave it to her father, and they used the money. And, I, and I'm talking 50 bucks, I think it was. And the family used it to buy an, a front door for their home. I mean, I was blown away. I know every house you've ever lived in has had a front door. Yeah. I'm sure every person who lives, lives, listening to this podcast right now has always had a front door on their house. Okay? This person, till she was sixteen, I believe, did not have a front door on her house, okay? yeah, until we provided the money for it and, and it's just so your your example is like spot on, spot on, okay so for the sake of time, I got one last- qu- I, I've got a number of questions, but simply for time. What would be your number one piece of advice for brand-new executives and why? Because you've been one for a while now.
1: Yeah, I mean,
3: I I would say, I mean, the t- the two things that I try to do and that I guess I would say I would always ask, I mean, I would tell everyone who decides they want to, you know, lead to do it. First, you know, develop your opinion and your viewpoint. And you should do that, you know, through others and, and with others and all that. But whatever problem you're trying to solve, form an opinion. And have confidence in the opinion and accept the consequences of it. And don't be full of it. If your opinion's wrong, and you end up getting fired, accept it. You were successful to the point that you got put in that job, you'll get another one. But living your life without an opinion and without the willingness to accept failure, you know, I a I find, I mean, my personal opinion is that you don't fail when you do that, you fail you are scared to fail. Absolutely. So totally true. have an opinion, <laughs> live by it. And if it's wrong, I mean, I'm not saying never adjust, but you got to see it through. Right. And the second totally thing, true. is true. don't manage yourself, your team or the organization based on how those who, evaluate you, um, do it based on those who you're asked to lead. I love that. I mean, it's about the people who you work with and, and I think for, like the people below you in the organization, whether or not you are successful or, should be about how they think about you. And if they buy in and you guys all agree and, you know, it turns out to be wrong, you you may lose your job. Maybe some of them do too. I don't know, right? But that'll be stressful enough. Oh, yeah. You don't need to, I mean, look, I, I only take jobs where I believe the people above me support me. And that that's not going to be under constant evaluation. Mm -hmm. They're going to constantly be trying to decide whether or not I'm here for the right job or I'm the right person. And I'd say don't do it because I don't promise every month, every week, things are going to go perfect. Yeah. Promise that we're going to get it done and we're going to do it well. And if you know, so I don't manage up an organization hardly at all. I I get a few key relationships above me. I make sure that they support what I'm doing. I don't neglect it, but um, it's not my priority. My priority is with my peers and with those who work with me. Yeah. And if I I get love that. people I love that have a I've decided this is what I'm doing, and I've got general support from the people above me, then I go. And I don't keep trying to keep support. If, I, if that's my job, mm-hmm. my job is to keep people supporting what I think is right or that what I did was good. You know, if what I did was what I said I was going to do and people above me decided it was the wrong thing, you know, it's fine. They can fire me. And I'll go do something else. Right. I mean, I'm not, I think I've, it's a trap. That the people above you um, are 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 the right people to impress. I think. Yeah. I hope they're impressed by me. Don't get me wrong. They. You know, I don't. I don't wish them any ill will, or you know. I don't hope I fail. But if they decide I failed, so be it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: If. If I believe the project was success and I did what I said I was going to do and my team is happy, then then I'm happy. I, or I'll live with it, right? I'm not saying I'll be happy. I mean, maybe I'll be sad about it. But I'm not going to make sure that everyone above me thinks I'm doing a great job. Right. I think that should happen naturally. And if it doesn't, then I'm in the wrong place to begin with. Absolutely. and I'd I agree with that. So, I, that, uh, that's the advice I always give, I mean, my peers, people who work for me, I tell them the same thing. Don't decide whether you're good at your job based on what I tell you. I'm telling you whether you're good at your job to know whether our value systems align. Mm-hmm. If you disagree with me and you think you a good job and I'm telling you not, then you're in the wrong place. Leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's not, nothing personal. We just don't see eye to eye. You're not going to be here mm-hmm. trying to make me happy. Yeah, and I think that's always the case for me. You know? mm-hmm. Next boss, I want to see if we see eye to eye, and if we don't, then you know, it's not like I'm going to quit the next day. You know, I think you work on it, and, but at some point, if you don't see eye to eye and your value systems are different, that's not something you ever want to fight.
2: No, it's not. It's going to stay that way. Yeah, it'll stay that way and get worse.
3: Yeah, so don't fight it. And don't try to change who you are. It goes back to the first, right? Know yourself. Know what you value. Know what you like. Know your perspective. And be confident in it.
1: Totally agree
2: with that. It's interesting. Um, You always want to know what you're worth, even though I'm self-employed. I want to speak to really your... I, I agree with both of the things that you said. But a couple key things really on the second piece, like sums up everything perfectly. Uh, About 12 years ago, one of the top three invest, one of the largest three investment firms in the world contacted me about basically, quote, buying in, buying me out, if you will, and joining them. And you know, I, I, I went and I interviewed just to just to lift up the hood and see what they were talking about. And at the end of the day, my responsibility was to report to them the evaluation of each person. And so I had somebody above me that was evaluating me at all times. Yeah. And to me, um, that sounded like uh, communism to a degree.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it sucked the free. It would suck the freedom out of me. And so I, I I I opted to stay right where I was, okay. And it solidified for me why I knew I was in the right place because it allowed me the freedom to, as you said, align my value system with those who aligned their value system with mine. And what it did is it allowed me to do the best possible job from an introduction, somebody who we did not know each other, to somebody who we became friends, and then we became clients, and it worked for a lifetime. Yeah, And it transcends into their family generationally because of the work that we did originally, was in line with that evaluation. And an interesting thing along the way, it actually made the organization and the firm stronger, not weaker, as a result of that. So, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why you and I get along so well. <laughs>
3: because, and I think, so, there, I think there are all kinds of firms that let people have that freedom, but I'll only be a part of ones that do. Uh, exactly you're right. On that, or that, you know, their rules are the same as mine, right? I mean, I guess that's freedom, right? You know, I yeah so I'd say, yeah. if you don't align. Just move on. There's lots of good things to do in life. Working someplace where you don't align with those above you, not fun. Yeah. If you're not sure, figure it out. Either align or don't, right? But. Now, I'm not saying I have. To, it's going to be 100%. I'll adjust. And you should always be open to that, but you, that can't be your job. Your job cannot be make sure people above you are happy. If that's your job, right. you'll be miserable. Yeah. Or I will be, I should say. Um, yeah. So I don't want yeah. any person who works for me, that they think their job is to make me happy. Right. The only person who can make me happy is me, as far as I'm concerned. And...
1: Uh, they're not going
3: to
2: have any bearing on it. Well put. Well put. Well, Adam, I want to thank you for your very generous time this morning. That went a little bit in the afternoon. Sharing your successes and your insight, again, into your profession and in your opinions, which I think really matter. Great, great discussions on management, leadership, expectations. And again, on a profession, I stated this when we spoke before. That, in my opinion, most people still don't really understand what actual work is all about.
3: Yeah,
1: I'm not sure most people. Uh, you know,
2: <laughs> true. Uh, you know, I'm always looking to get connected with smart people like yourself uh, in the industry. So, uh, who might be interested in appearing on a successful executive podcast? And I welcome introductions by email to anyone in your network who might be a fit for an interview. So I want to thank you again, Adam. Sure. Thank
1: you.
0: The Successful Executive Podcast is hosted by John Bellino. John helps successful executives create a plan for lifetime income by addressing the five key areas that impact your wealth and retirement. To discover what these five key areas are and how to create a plan for each one, visit johnjbellino.com webinar for a complimentary video presentation. Material discussed is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents and employees do not provide tax, legal or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian. New York, New York. Copyright 2005 to 2019, Guardian. John Bellino is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, P.A.S., OSJ, 14021 Metropolis Avenue, Fort Myers, Florida, 33912, 239 561 Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian. New York, New York. PAS is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Alliance Financial Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Alliance Financial Group, and opinions stated are their own.